Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. I go and I said, like a Whopper with cheese and pickles. And I'd like some fries. And the guy behind the counter, a kid, says to me, well, you, do you want the meal? And I said, well, what does the meal come with? So, well, you get a drink. I said, hey, you know, I, don't, I don't care. It's okay. He says, okay. This is exactly what he says. 1372. 1372. 1372. So now that my first reaction is, that must be my number when my order is ready. <laughs> this is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. So you never know who listens. You just never know. I went to Columbia yesterday to see Helen. You know, I wanted to get some exercise in. Mm-hmm. And when I was done, I was sitting in the locker room area, and a guy comes over to me and goes, I just had you on the air. I heard about that Whopper story. That's unbelievable. And I said, do you go to fast food much? This is a grown man. He's got his 50s. Do you go to fast food much? And he goes, no. You know, no, I wouldn't have known either. So we don't, we don't know. Although Greg Garcia, Greg Garcia sent me a note. He says, I have a free Burger King card That's for the right. rest of time. That's right. Cause he so the there. next time I see you, worked there for a month, the next time I see you, I'll take you for Burger King. <laughs> and I said to Greg, I said, so I'm trying to figure out what happened here. Like, did the kid, did the, was the kid simply a, a moron and charged me twice? Or was he a Sharpie and felt he could take advantage of me? And because uh, I would respect that. And Greg said, I worked there. It's probably the former, not the latter. <laughs> so. I forgot that he was an alum of Burger yes, King. Yes, yes, yes. So we'll talk. When's Greg's new show start? I believe it's a week from this Friday. So we'll try and get Greg on to talk about the show. Yes, I, I, I've been talking about So either Wednesday or Friday. Is next it week Sprung? Is that the name of it? What's I the think name? so. I think I, it's I, I mem- now you've, you've I've seen it. I've seen the first two episodes. I've watched very the, funny. I've watched the trailer. I can't wait for it's it. It's very funny. <laughs> well, Greg's very funny. You know, who knew? Hey, I've, I've said this a thousand times. <clears throat> People who, who do great things, you go back to their high school. And people, you know, people basically say this. I knew he or she was good. I didn't know they were this good. You know, and that's what happens. Yes. You know, who went to my high school? Donna Karen. Right. You look at her drawings, you go, wow, she's pretty good. Did you think she was $50 billion good? No. I mean, nobody ever thinks that. I said that with Julie Jimmy Bowen. Jimmy Steinman. Yeah. I thought yeah. Jimmy Stein was pretty good. Yeah, he's pretty good. Did I think he was this good? <laughs> that good? No. Yeah. No. Although, you know, anyway. Um, so we were, we were hoping to have Sally Jenkins on live in studio. Live at Uncle Benny's table, but she slept late. Sally, she called me yesterday. She was in town. She was doing something. David Marinus, who's a great writer. David Marinus has a new book out about Jim Thorpe. Oh, wow. And he's done biographies of um, Vince Lombardi was one of the great biographies. He's really, really good. So she was emceeing some sort of an event, which I should say I was not invited to. But wouldn't have gone had you been. Well, but I, I like Marinus a lot. So, so I said, Sal, come over. We'll do the podcast because there's a couple of stories that are right up your alley because you've written columns about them in the last 24 hours. Serena Williams mm-hmm. uh, apparently quitting at some point, maybe right after the U.S. Open and the Saudi tour. At the time, they hadn't been denied the ability for those three guys to get in. And now they have. Right? And now they have. So that changes the story a little bit. But she slept. <laughs> And she just wrote me a little note saying, oh, I'm tired. It's, it's okay. Right. Um, so, so last night, you know, I, I did the usual thing. I watched the Nats for a while. And the Nats at the Cubs is not a great series. 
Not this year. They're no. lousy teams. Yeah. The Cubs probably have the fourth or fifth worst record in baseball. The Nats have the worst record in baseball. And even the charm of Wrigley Field, and Bob Carpenter does his best to talk about the charm of Wrigley Field. It doesn't, it doesn't deodorize the game, okay, <laughs> if I could put it that way. But I'm watching, and the Nats do pretty well. The Nats at one point are up, I think, 4-1, to one, fairly late in the game, the fifth or the sixth. Yes. Hubert Ruiz hit his second home run. He's good. He's a really good defensive catcher. He's got a, <coughs> excuse me, he's got a great arm. He'll pick you off first, and he'll throw you out at second. It's good to he's have He's got that. a great arm. Yeah, the question on. was, can he hit? And he's hitting okay. He's hitting about 250, uh, and he had two home runs last night. So they go up 4-1, to one, and Espino's on the mound. This is their starting rotation. I love Espino. Yeah, he looked good, didn't he? If you give him the ball every day, he'll go out there for you. He'll try to give you four, five, or six innings every day. He's a battler, but he isn't a great pitcher. Corbin is going to miss a start. You know what? I'm, you know my position on Corbin. Put yes. him on the DL. Yeah, give him an injury. Just say, just set yourself He's straight. He's going to miss one start. We'll see what happens if there's a mysterious DL problem. <laughs> and then they got so their starting rotation is Corbin, who's four and seventeen. Annabelle Sanchez is zero and five. I don't know Espino's record. It's probably okay. And Josiah Gray, who's right around 500, maybe a little bit under. It's not an intimidating rotation by any stretch of the imagination. No. But I, I, what you have your finger up as if you want to say something. Well, you say, but like with Espino, all, all you want to do for the rest of this year is identify guys who say, look, this guy we like. We can, That's right. He can be part of the, maybe not number one or number two, but maybe a three or it four. It would not surprise me if Espino was 55 years old. <laughs> I don't know how old he is. It, it wouldn't surprise me. So I'm watching, and they're up 4 1 or whatever they're up. And I go, okay, we're good. I go to sleep. I wake up this morning to find out that they lost the lead. Mm-hmm. Their bullpen collapsed, including Kyle Finnegan, who's been pretty good this year. I will say he's been pretty good. But then they got the lead back. Is there a guy named Menesis? Yes. Joey Menesis? Yes. Who had never been in the majors before this year and is about 30 years old, like 10, 11 years in the minors. Do I, do, do I have that correct? I don't know his backstory. Can you look that up? Sure. Because I think, I think this is his first time ever in the majors. I think he's from Mexico. And I think he's been living in hard luck in the minors. And now he's up, and he's got a couple of home runs, and he's playing pretty well. And, you know, if, you, if you're familiar with Bull Durham, you want to get to the show, it's all better in the show. M-E-N-E-S-E-S, I think. I yes. don't know how it's pronounced. Yeah, it, it looks like he... Uh, Never, right? Yeah, he's bounced around to a couple of different teams, but I don't, they might have had like a cup of coffee with somebody. But uh, he was with the Braves, the Phillies. I'm not sure he had at-bats in the major leagues. Yeah, I'm not sure. No, actually, he didn't. Yeah, Oryx yeah. Buffaloes was who he played That's for. That's so... And how old is he? He's probably around 30. Uh, let's see, he's so, born in 92. What's that? 30. Oh, age 30. Yeah. That's a long time coming for him. That's, so he's somebody you root for. Those are great stories. Yeah. 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 People like that, you, you root for. You hope that... They get a chance, you know, because they're not going to get a long leash. They're really right. not. you got to do it right away. And you have to be selfish in order to stay. But he's done pretty well. I mean, the Nats stink. We, we understand they're a terrible baseball team. And, again, they, they just sort of have my heart. But, you know, the more and more people you talk to about them, they go, eh, you know, eh. I know a, I, I know a covey of people who want to get rid of their tickets. They just think that they, that they don't want to pay this kind of money anymore for a triple-A team. And that's what they, you know what they are? They're an expansion team. Right now they are. They're yeah. no good. Yeah. Well, they're no uh, good. And they're selling. Well, I, I, you know, I, I wonder. We, we haven't dealt with this. I guess we dealt with it a little bit. 
does how bad they are devalue the amount of money they, they'll get on the sale? That's what I don't know. You take away Soto. I mean, if I'm a new owner, I'm not sure I want to be obligated to a $500 million Soto contract. I'm not sure I do. Um, and I hope the new owners are here for the long term. But every once in a while you feel, wow, that's, it's not going to be a local group. It's going to be some hedge fund guy from somewhere else who's not going to care. <laughs> right. He's just I mean, The Washington area has lost teams before. Twice. Yes. Oh, gosh. If, if that were happening, I mean, that couldn't happen again, could it? I, everything. What do you mean? It's 50-50. <laughs> it's 50-50 that it happens tomorrow. But, yeah, it's not just the quality of the team. I think the, the contract, the TV contract with Masson, I think, plays into the value the of the team. The contract is terrible. Right. And I think that the contract is terrible if you, were, if you look at it from the Nats' point of view. Yeah. And, and, you know, please don't take this the wrong way. I'm not, I really love living in Washington, D.C., but if I owned a baseball team, the Baltimore Orioles, 30 to 40 minutes away for a lot of people, and you were putting a new team 30 to 40 minutes away from me, and I'd been a great member of the baseball fraternity for a long time, yeah. I would say, well, if you're going to do that, you've got to give me some benefit here and there. And that benefit was the mass in contract. And it's, you know, it, it, you, you have to sort of divorce yourself from the hometown quality of this and look at it from the hometown quality of Baltimore. You're invading their territory. Yeah. Baltimore drew a lot. I'll bet Baltimore drew 20% of its people from Montgomery County. Sure. I'll bet they did. Yeah. Uh, and, and you, and you got to figure that 80% of those 20% will flip over to the Nats. I'm sure the contract, everybody says how terrible the contract is. I'm sure it's a terrible contract. What I'm not sure of is if it's unfair given the circumstances when it started. Now, there should be a reduction over time. It should eventually even out, go to nothing right. over time. I don't know if it does. I'm not familiar with the contract. But I know how everybody screams it's an unfair contract. Well... You know, well, it's just such a great source of revenue. I mean, that's the Yes Network and, and the, the Dodgers have theirs, the Nessin up in Boston, for which takes all of New England. Yeah, to sort New of England Sports from. Network. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it's tough. It's I'm tough. But I've been drifting into areas I know nothing about. <laughs> that's, you know, where, really. where, that's when we're at our strongest. Yes. Yeah, Talking about things with no idea. About. All right. So we'll take a break. Um, we have breaking news stories in effect. Serena Williams leaving the world of tennis. We have Liz Clark to talk about that. We have the Saudi tour being denied the three guys on the Saudi tour who had qualified for the FedEx Cup. They'd qualified for the PGA Tour extra benefit, denied by a judge the ability to get in. So we have Abby Lowell. And Abby can also talk about Deshaun Watson. Yes. Uh, so that's what we got today. And we'll be back. I'm Tony Kornheiser. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie. And we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. This is The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is our friend Jim Baznight, who's contributed songs before. Yes. This is a song called Houston Street. It's going to play in Liz Clark. He writes, Dear Tony, sincere thanks for your continued support. And here are two more songs for you and your listeners, Blue Moon Heart and Houston Street. They're from my latest album, Pop Top. Um, 
Houston Street. Oh, pronounced Houston. I'm sorry. Oh, it's like the street in New yeah, York, in, right? Right, Houston Avenue, Houston Street, down yeah. way downtown in New York. Channels the often infamous, though equally often, good old days of Lower Manhattan in the late 70s and early 80s when I was a first-hand witness. Both songs are original compositions. Pop Top is available for downloads at Power Papaholics Bandcamp page. Well, you know, <laughs> man, oh man, I never understand any of this. Anyway, it plays in Liz Clark, and, and she's probably recovered from being up all night at the grinding city open. And, I, you know, can I just, I want to talk about Serena Williams, but I want to ask you one question that I found amazing. Nick Kyrgios, who's like a slug of a human being, but you know, who has a talented tennis player. Uh, and everyone said for many years he's wasting his talent by being such an awful human being. And maybe he's less awful. Because in the last month and a half, he was a finalist at Wimbledon. And he, well, I'm not going to make a claim that the City Open is the French Open, but, you know, that's pretty high-quality field. They got some players in it. How can he not be ranked in the top 10? Did I read correctly that he's only ranked like 31st or 32nd? Liz, does that make sense to you? I mean, yes and no. It, the ranking uh, system in tennis is bewildering. I mean, there is math to it. There, there are rules, but it's not accessible to the average person. It doesn't always okay. square with common sense, um, and it has to do with your performance relative to your performance the year prior. So it, oh. in an odd way, it really rewards, you know, not only excellence, but consistency. You have to play a lot and play the same things regularly. And an aspect of Curios's, uh maddening game, you know, in which the, the performance doesn't always reflect the ability, is he has sort of flitted in and out of the tour. You know, he plays when he's of a mind to play. And, you know, in his defense, for players from Australia throughout the pandemic, it was an enormous ask to play on the tour because of the country's requirements for coming and going. And you basically had to say goodbye to your country for a year. I'm exaggerating, yeah. but, you know, it's tough. So a lot of that is just his erratic uh, level of play. And like everyone else, he got no points for his performance at Wimbledon, which was a career best. Well, but you have no doubt that he's one of the 15 best tennis players in the world, maybe one of the best 10, right? You have no doubt about that. If you're talking about ability and his high end, ability, yeah. and zero yeah. doubt. No, zero doubt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The slug of a human being for a lot of years. And, you know, you just can't say, well, I'm mature now. Because that, you, two weeks from now, you take a racket and throw it at somebody's head, you know, because it's who yeah, you are. I was having right? this right. internal, you know, struggle in every word I wrote about him. Like, he's saying all the right things. He hasn't put a foot wrong. He hasn't <laughs> been fined. You know, he's been actually charming. But, you know, does that offset? you know, a, a decade-long career uh, of something no, quite just, different. Like, good for him, but we can't declare this a transformation. I mean, I can yeah, quote him good, saying, right? I've reinvented myself, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah, we, we will see about him. I, I, I'm sorry for, for diverting the whole thing. Let me get no. to Serena Williams. Um, did you expect, are you convinced that Serena Williams is indeed on the precipice of retirement, and did you expect any public concession to that point? Mm, you know, for sure, like Federer, in a way, 
I mean, common sense, what I see, the, the frequency, infrequency of their play, it, it's that for sure she's on the precipice of ending her career just because of age. Um, you know, she has not played uh, much at all in the last two years, and she's clearly you know, loves being a mother and has entered that new dimension of her life. I'm I'm not saying that's an either or, but that is a new dimension of her life. But, you know, looking at Venus, who is, you know, almost two years older, not quite, um, Venus at 42 is still competing, you know, not regularly. She played singles for the first time in a year. But, you know, Venus has never really pointed to retirement or said she's going to retire or put a date to it. Um, I don't believe Maria Sharapova did either. Like, woohoo, today I'm retiring. Um, so there's, on that level, I wasn't sure that Serene would ever announce it or declare it. And, and in a mm-hmm. way, the piece in Vogue wasn't hard and fast. You know, it, it, it left a teeny wiggle room for going on beyond the U.S. Open. But it was very human and very, um, you know, frank in saying it, it, she is going to move away from tennis. It is, you know, it is, the time has come for her to make a choice. Um, so she is going to retire, but she didn't put a firm date to it. I don't know if that's just answers as a practical matter. Saying. Well, yeah. we're going to, well, we'll just pursue this. Just as a yeah. practical matter, mm-hmm. um, she did apparently indicate she'd like to have a, a ch- another child and yeah. all of that and maybe go into the fashion business. If she does that, if she, and she gets pregnant and has a child, she's 40 now. So she'd be at the earliest she could be a competitive tennis player is 42. And let's face it, I mean, Venus is now 42, and she's not a competitive tennis player anymore. At some point, you know, not everybody's Tom Brady. Like, there's only one Tom Brady. So, I mean, practically speaking, if she pursues those ambitions, right, she she probably couldn't play again on any top level. Am I right on that, well, Liz? I, I mean, yeah, but I just got to say, not everybody's Serena Williams, too. I mean, in the in the Tom okay. Brady awe, like, yeah. my God, okay. I, I put Serena, you know, right up there on equal footing. But we're talking about gender um, issues here, I mean, or what's implied by motherhood. So I guess it's, you know, what, yeah. do, you, what do you define as being a player? I mean, Venus seems to take great joy in playing doubles, mixed doubles. Um, you know, the ranking is not relevant to her or not important to her. Um, I mean, Serena could come back and play, but the Serena I've covered, I don't think would be happy with being 800 in the world or having zero ranking, um, you know, as, as a long-term proposition, as the ending point of her career. And, you know, she's not as active a doubles player as Venus has been, or mixed doubles player. Um, you know, she's, she's had some incredible achievements in doubles, but um, often with, with Venus as her partner. Um, so, I mean, yes, I don't mean to quibble. You're right. It, it's a practical matter. It's, it's hard to see, and it would be a very narrow definition of being a pro tennis player at 42 two kids, but, um, you know, the, yeah. if I'm one not mistaken, athlete, I, I never would say never to, if, if right. th- there would not be uh, an interest or an ambition she had that I would say, oh, well, that's not possible. <laughs> there was a tennis player some years back, I don't know, 10 years back, named Leighton Hewitt, 
I think oh, he won yeah. Wimbledon at one point or the U.S. Open, whatever it was. Yeah. And five years after that, he was an unranked player and he was still out there because he liked it. Yeah. I think it's easier to be Venus Williams than Serena Williams. Uh, I do. I think Venus Williams can just enjoy playing tennis. I think the days of, of worrying about whether she'd be number one all time or not are well gone. Her sister, I think her sister made it easier for her to enjoy the game. And I look at Serena Williams, and I don't know her at all. So I could be dead wrong on this. But to me, she's sort of like Michael Jordan in the sense that she's self-centered and driven and dismissive. And I don't even mean that in a bad way. You're in an individual mm -hmm. sport. You yeah. know, if you don't have those qualities, I don't think you're going to win. Right? I, oh. think that, I think that people who don't have them are the exception to the rule. Oh, a one hundred percent, and that may not be a, a you know a reality sports fans want to hear, but you cannot yeah. be the world's greatest. I mean, literally the world's greatest. None of us can imagine what that requires. Not in your God-given gifts, but what you are willing to give up and sacrifice and do. Yes. None of us. We are not even remotely close. Let's face it. So you don't get there without being. A, a, a narcissist, you know, completely self-absorbed with the whole circle of friends around or people around you in service to you, in service to that cause. And that is just what is part of the sacrifice. And when you retire, you know, often in, in my experience, whether it's um, no matter what the sport, let's just say, no matter what the gender, um, these champions can become way more fully evolved and make room for other people and, and cheer on other people and be in support of other people. I mean, Chris Everett is a beautiful example to me. I mean, she's um, she didn't have her kids till later, but when she was you know, a savage, fiercely competitive player, she did not really have friends on tour. You know, she, she had to break off her friendship with Martina because she felt it would be harder to beat her. So it was a lonely, in some ways, life of absolute sacrifice to be a champion. Um, but she went on to have relationships. You know, she, she loves to support other players. She has an academy. She, you know, and so, I mean, Serena, we've sort of seen all these facets of her in, in, in some ways lately with, with motherhood and supporting Venus. But, um, you know, yes, she is self-centered, and, and that is the price you pay. I mean, as an athlete, I, I don't know her personally. I've covered her for more than 15 years, so I know her on-court demeanor, and I know, you know, the range of how she handles press conferences, and, and I also don't conflate Venus and Serena, although they are they form the most incredible story in the history of sports. They are not the same person. They're not the same athlete. And, and there is a different dynamic of being the youngest sister in this family of five and being the baby and the spoiled one. And that's a narrative Serena tells on herself. Yes, I always get my way. I'm the young one. <laughs> you know, and there's a protect, protective aspect of Venus when it comes to Serena. You know, she loved to support Serena's achievements. Um, so I'm just sort of wondering if you're Serena Williams and we're all self-delusional to a degree, but at some point you're alone in the room and you look into the cold, hard facts of what happened. Do you think that first round out at Wimbledon, do you think she said to herself, eh, I can't, I'm, I'm never going to be who I was again? 
Sure, because that was exactly what happened the previous Wimbledon. You know, the previous Wimbledon, she had a first round out. It wasn't, she didn't even get a set in. It was a, uh, I believe, a hamstring injury. It was a leg injury. Um, and she didn't play for a year for sure. But, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, maybe two years okay. of that would, would give you that cognition. And, and I right. can't imagine being a mom, realizing the joy of motherhood, and then thinking, well, we need to have another baby. And, you know, that would just be in a, a different category of impulses and what you, what you have to, how you look uh, anew at your priorities. So everybody, I'll get you out of here on this. Everybody always says, who's the greatest female player of all time? Who's the greatest male player of all time? Because of my age and because of the amount of tennis that I watched, I have always thought Martina is the best. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the category, there's, there's five people. There's Serena Williams. There's Martina Navratilova. There's Chris Everett. There's Steffi Groff. That's four whom I leave it out. I said Serena, right? I would have yes. said those uh-huh. four. I, I, I would have That's stopped it. So right there. That's it. So there's four. So there's four. Steffi, Criff. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Billie Jean. Oh, yes. Billie Jean King. So there's four. Well, if you're talking list. about impact, but go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I'm so, sorry. I mean, it's your I narrative. Thought, I, I should shut up. Go ahead. Well, I'm, yeah. <laughs> no, I just thought Martina was the best. I mean, and it's, it's, they're all very, very close, and you can throw a blanket over them, and if you choose somebody else, that's fine. But I would have chosen Martina. How about you? Oh, yeah. oh, God. Well, it would have been a two-person conversation for me, Serena and Martina. Um, okay. Martina, yeah. I mean, technically, for stats guys, she has more slams if you add doubles, mixed doubles. I mean, it's some staggering number. Um, Serena's 23 clear, singles, clearly more than Martina and Chris's. Um, but, you know... And, and so, and I am not, well, no, sir, I, I'd have to go with Serena, you know, and, and okay. I have so re- okay. such respect because of the way, because Serena revolutionized the women's game. She redefined the women's game. She wasn't just better at it than everybody else in her generation. She remade it with the power of her strokes, the aggressiveness of her Play, making it clear that women can scream and yell. I mean, in, and that is strength. That is a good look for athletes, and and females no different than males. And I mean, not to mention revolutionizing the the game uh, skin color lines. You know that this is not right. this game. It, it belongs to any champion who wants to take it. It is not some exclusive country club. And then the narrative, I mean, certainly coming from a communist country and having to defect Martina's narrative is pretty damn amazing. But Serena and Venus's coming from Compton, coached by their dad, there is not an analog to that. There's not a parallel to that in sports, to my knowledge. You know, you know a broader array of sports than I do, but that story, no one, no family comes close. And, uh, you know, Serena is women's tennis. This is beautiful to listen to. Thank you, Liz. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Take care. Bye. This clock, boys and girls. We'll take a break. Abby Lowell will join us when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. 
And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is Jim Baznight. This is called Blue Moon Heart, which he says is a driving, grinding rocker with a solid hook and a ripping sound, usually due to an incredible mastering job by my longtime production partner, Grammy winner, Gary Shelton. Jim writes, I've been very proud and humbled to have received warm receptions from numerous tracks from various folks who've enjoyed these efforts, including indie radio station shows, webzines, whatever that is, blogs and podcasts across the USA and Canada. United Kingdom and Ireland, around Europe, and various outposts around the world. He's going to go to Europe and sing there. He's very good. Jim Baznight. If people like Jim Baznight want to send in their original music, Nigel, how do they do so? Yes, you can send us your original music to jingles at com. Very good. Plays in Abby Lowell, the smartest man in Washington, D.C. And we finally have a, night, a day, rather, when it's worthy of Abby's brilliance. Because <laughs> there are two very big stories. There are two very big stories in sports that have to do with off-field consequences. One is the Sean Watson, and one is the Saudi tour. Uh, the Saudi tour thing got changed. We'll do that second, but it got changed oh, yesterday afternoon when an American judge said, not so fast. You people, shut up. You're out of here. But we'll get to that. Let me start with the Sean Watson. It, the NFL is legally cleared to appeal this, right? Everybody is screaming at the NFL for bigfooting this particular judge, but that's that is their legal right, and it would seem to me that they also have a certain moral high ground in this case. Or am I wrong? No. First, you know, when it comes to a league, any sport, trying to adopt or enforce its moral rules or its rules about conduct, it's a really complicated mess because you have the person's contract, you have a collective bargaining agreement, you have. The, you know, the law, if somebody brings a lawsuit. So to say all that is to say that they do have the legal right. They can say that the judge has overstepped their bounds by entering into a fray that the judge did not have a place to be in. And they, as to they have an obligation, well, I guess they do in the following way. When they're the ones that are going to press the issue of discipline and they are going to be the ones that say that we occupy the field and then somebody else tries to occupy the field, then in order to maintain their authority, their power, their ability to discipline, then they kind of have to do it. So in that sense, you're probably right. Does it look to you like bigfooting? I mean, they, they finally get a collective bargaining agreement that the players agree to, that they're going to go to a third-party independent judge. They do retain the right to appeal. But on the very first decision this judge makes, the NFL throws its hands up in the air and says, this is garbage. We can't have this. I mean, right. I guess what I'm yep. getting at is even though they probably should appeal, I think they look bad and appealing. What do you think? Well, that's a whole different issue, right? They look bad because yes. the rest of the world watches and says, look, we finally have something in which people are being held responsible for their conduct. And in so doing, they create at least the appearance that they care about it. And then whether it's based on a legal technicality or the right to have the authority be in them, they file an appeal and people go, well, wait, you're, mis you know, you're mistaking your 
legal authority to the conduct of the player. So the optics are terrible, as you point out, but they yes. are within their rights. Yes. And more importantly, in order to maintain their, as I said, their fiefdom as being the arbiters of conduct, they probably need to do this. So Goodell farmed it out. He could have heard it himself, but everybody would have screamed. You can't hear it yourself. But he does. He has that legal right. I don't know why the players gave in on that, but they did. He farmed it out to somebody who I think was the attorney general of New Jersey for a while. What do you think of him farming it out? And what do you think of this question that I think no one has considered? What if the new person hears it and says, I don't even think he should get six. I think we should let him play right now. I mean, nobody's expecting that, but isn't that on the table? It's on the table. Um, once you allow the process to take place and you allow an outside person to make the decision and then you allow an appeal, then it works kind of like a normal court system works. A trial judge in a normal court can make a decision if the judge is given that ability because the parties agreed or it's not a jury or whatever. Then somebody appeals and they have the right to appeal it. A higher court can do a lot of things. A higher court can say, you got it wrong, go back and do it again. Sometimes the higher court can say, look, I have enough evidence on the record that I'm going to tell you what you should have done. So, again, in the way our system is structured, that's a, that's a possibility. Now, you said, again, the optics of this may indicate that that's not the way it's going to happen. So maybe there will be something other than go on the field tomorrow versus you have to stay out however many games. But it is in their prerogative to do. This is a, a weird thing that I'm going to say. I was so happy we had Booger McFarland on a couple of weeks ago when he was talking about how players react to other players and how they can play with just about anybody if you're going to win the game. But he said, but just so you know, this guy's a pervert. <laughs> <laughs> he just said it right on the air. I mean, I've got to, this is, I mean, to me, his actions are terrible. I don't know how they can let him play this year. I mean, I honestly don't. Would you? Which side of this case would you rather be on if they asked you? Oh, I would rather be on the side that says the following: um, You can commit, uh, you can do conduct that doesn't amount to a crime. You can do conduct that may be a crime for which there's no evidence. You can do conduct for which may be a crime for which there's no evidence at the standard of which we require con um, crimes to be proven. You know, beyond reasonable doubt. But in terms of the underlying conduct, if there's enough corroboration, which there was, then yeah. the activity and the punishment matches. So I'd rather be on the side that says this was maybe too little of a punishment as opposed to this should be appealed because it's too much. That's the side I'd be on. Me too. All right, let's move to the Saudi golf tour. Um, this becomes easy a little bit because the judge yesterday ruled that the three players who had in fact qualified They'd done everything they were supposed to do, qualified to be in the FedEx Cup postseason run. He said, get out of here. We're not, we're not doing this. Do you understand, do you understand that? Because we talked a long time ago about you know, being denied the ability to make a living by the PGA Tour. Um, do you understand the ruling yesterday, yeah, so and can you explain this, it? Of course. Let, let's explain this a bit. So in any situation in which there's a dispute under the law. You have whatever your claim is. There was a breach of contract. You know, you trespassed, you assaulted, you whatever. And that's your claim. But what the three players sought to do is to say, I need extra relief. 
In the law, there's something called extraordinary relief. Extraordinary relief is called either an injunction or, in this case, a temporary restraining order, where you have to tell a judge, notwithstanding what my legal claim is, I've got more stuff going on. I've got more injury. I've got injury that can't be remedied by money. And this is why I'm coming to court and saying, stop this, or order them to let me play. What the judge said yesterday is not on the merits of the underlying antitrust claim, because the judge said that's really complicated. So a judge that says it's really complicated in an injunction really goes to the more important issue in injunctions, which is, has the person asking for it shown what's called irreparable harm? And in that case, irreparable harm usually means it's an injury that cannot be compensated with money. And that's where the live players are going to be, S-O-L, because what we now have seen in the reference to their contract is not only are they being paid a gazillion dollars differently than they would have otherwise, but they are also, according to what we read, have sort of clauses in their agreement with Liv um, to say we get a minimum guarantee. We also have a clause that seems to say we get X money if we're forbidden from playing for the BGA. So this was part of the deal. Now, we didn't see that contract, but the judge made reference to it. So they do not have, according to the judge, and I have to agree with this, what's called irreparable injury. The judge hasn't ruled on the merits of their claim, but the merits of their claim has as many problems as we talked about before. Again, even for an antitrust violation, you have to show economic injury. Well, yeah, as everybody keeps saying, how do you have economic injury when you're being paid three times as much to paying for live? So the judge yesterday basically said, we're not going to live and let live. <laughs> that's, that's a good line, Abby. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was thinking about this. These, these guys make... They make so much money in guarantees. They're not even athletes anymore. They're entertainers now. They, they've taken well, away any incentive to win. It, it, it doesn't exist. Well, no, I mean, you know, this has been a, you know, really, this has also been something we've read about in other sports, right? I mean, how many times have we now read about in the tennis world where people are basically, you know, in order to draw the best talent to something like the City Open that just occurred in Washington, the top players yeah. are given a guarantee to show up. Well, I mean, okay, I know that they want to create their ranking, and it's a tune-up to the U.S. Open, but if you tell a player, don't worry about it, come here and you're going to get X dollars, and those X dollars aren't small, it does take something away from the idea of competition, doesn't it? I think it does. I'll get you out of here on this, because this is... This is a narrow ruling on an injunction in a, a very, very specific time. In, yeah, very narrow ruling. I mean, but it's very it, narrow. You know, it would so have been does... extraordinary if it went the other way. Well, let me ask this, because this is such a narrow ruling in a very specific time and place, does it leave the larger antitrust action open, do you think, or does it seal it forever? No, no, no. It's, this is going to be hotly litigated, because these are complicated issues in the Sherman Act passed 100 years ago to prevent monopolies when we were talking about the oil barons and others. So that's still to right. be determined. But even if it, the, the, the wall to climb over to show a monopoly in an industry in which, for example, the PGA, also going to be known as the you know, pro-golfers going AWOL, they have a, the yeah. ability to show a monopoly. Look, by definition, Liv is competing. By definition, they are drawing yes. players. Yes. By definition, they are in competition. So that's a big wall to climb over on a Sherman antitrust uh, monopoly claim. So it's, it is open for future litigation. But it's going to have a lot of problems for the um, folks on, on the LIV that are bringing the lawsuit. I, I ultimately think that the PGA will prevail. Oh, that's good to know. Thanks, Abby, as always. Thank you, thank you. Abby Lowell, All boys right. and girls, smartest man in Washington. 
We'll take a break. We will have uh, jingles, emails, all that stuff when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. That's Bruce Griffin. I don't know if this is everybody's dream, but it's my dream to be able to sit at a piano and do that. You know, late at night, people come over and you just sit and you play. Or go to and s- you're that good. Or go to some Greek island and get a job just yeah, playing like piano. Mitch. <laughs> just like Mitch. But that's the bagels. Do the end. Got the sandwiches today. So happy. We'll take, you'll take one home. Yes, very excited about that. You can get them too. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. That's it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say from the park, you hear the happy sound of the carousel. You can almost taste the hot dogs and french fries they sell. Under the boardwalk down by the sea on a blanket with my baby is where I'll be. Those of the drifters. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Carol King and Jerry Goffin wrote the song, but <laughs> no. you know, it could be somebody else. They did, the they did up on the roof. I'm yeah, sure. you know, it's, yeah. it's the Brill Building. Yes. Thanks today to Liz Clark and Abby Lowell. Sorry Sally couldn't be here. Thanks to today's sponsor, Sunday Simply Safe. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. And again, summer schedule, kids. Alright, some emails from Mark S. Fife. Heard you say that you were in there, Hewlett High School, Hall of Fame. So am I. Graduated in 1974 and captained the tennis team to the county championship. I love PTI. Mark S. Fife. I guess the S stands for singles. <laughs> yes. Um, Oakley Emanuel. Currently, I'm Emanuel Oakley. Currently, I'm investing in this cryptocurrency with a company that helps in mining Bitcoin and pay profit weekly. I can put you through on how you can invest and make profits through it <laughs> while I invest and teach you how I do so so that you can become a self-dependent investor like myself. How about that? I don't think so. <laughs> it seems legit. enjoy it. From Jamie Edwards in Reedfield or Redfield, Maine. My mother needs to buy a new car. My daddy asked her if she's considering a Subaru. Please send help. From Elliot Olshansky, our friend in Comac, Long Island. Mazel tov on your acquisition of one of Max Scherzer's jerseys from his rehab assignment with the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. I guess you do care about those damn ponies after all. Next, you should see if they'll send you a jersey from the handful of games they play each year as the Binghamton Speedies. I didn't know they did that. Wow, the Binghamton I wonder if that's Speedies. A, I wonder if that's a joke. Oh. 
would be great. I would love too. it if it was the Speedies, yes. Best regards from maybe the maybe the jersey would be edible. <laughs> Best regards from Suffolk County where the Long Island Ducks don't have any alternate identities that I'm aware of, but perhaps they'll pick a game to play tribute to the original Long Island Ducks, the Eastern Hockey League team that used to play here in Comac, and I add parenthetically with which I am very familiar, on a site that is now home to a shopping center that includes Target and Whole Foods. And by the way, I have uh, Under the Bulge written by Kenny Young and Arthur Resnick. Okay. I'm going to believe it's the Brill Building. Yes. I'm going to believe that. Yes. Adam LaPera writes, Adam in Haymarket, wanted to give you two updates. The first is my cat weighs a slim for the summer 7.8 pounds. <laughs> the second is my wife is pregnant with our first child due in April 2023. We're, of course, ecstatic, already thinking of names. Can I get some support to name the kid after a famous golf course? Andrew for St. Andrews. Bandon for Bandon Dunes. Bertha, yikes, maybe not. How about Master? How cool would that be? Meet my child, the Master. My wife is a loyal little as well, and I feel I could get some major points in influencing her if it's blessed by the great Hofwap. Andrew for St. Andrew sounds reasonable. It's a nice name. Name the kid Shinnecock, right? Well, that's a tough one, I think. <laughs> you know, that's a tough one. Rehoboth Beach. <laughs> Do that. From Terry Morrow, yesterday my daughter Maggie and her fiancé Jeremy married on Cape Cod. The groom and I both followed Nigel's lead. We visited Indochino, and yes, we yes. used the code. Thank you for the fantastic recommendation enabling Jeremy and me to bond over your podcast. And they are wearing lovely suits. Isn't that great? Lovely suits. Job well done. From Charlie Sh uh, Schreier in Playa Vista, California. I wanted to say thanks for dedicating so much airtime to the legacies of Bill Russell and Vin Scully on last week's shows. It may seem obvious to you that such reverence was in order. But in the snap judgment world of today, your show's provided something that we desperately need more of, context. Well, I know part of your job is to make loud, definitive statements about largely ambiguous situations. You're also quick to remind us about the historical context in which our athletes and teams, and even whoppers, exist today. I'm a millennial, a couple of years younger than Michael. So I didn't get to experience much of either Russell or Scully, but I was completely captivated by the stories from you, Wilbon, Richard Justice, and Bob Ryan. It brought the two men to life. Thank you for the history lessons. From Jake Hafner in Syracuse, Dear Grandpa, you made me hunger f hungry for a Whopper, so I got one. A medium Whopper with cheese, no tomato, fries, and a Sprite cost 11.11. Maybe DC has a special Whopper tax. Eat it, literally. And he sent, <laughs> he sent the bill. He sent the receipt, a copy of the, of the receipt. <laughs> it's a Even 11.11 is more than yeah, more than I, I thought it would be. Yes. Um, uh, from Sandy Rohde. Columbus, Nebraska, $8.75. Since, since this investigation took place in the morning, <laughs> I chose the two for $4, bacon, egg, and cheese croissants. Another Burger King from our friend Carl in Oswego, New York. A Whopper with cheese value meal and a small drink and fries is $9.49 plus tax here. If you paid $14, it sounds like you're at an airport where they always gouge you. Yes. I wasn't. I was on, <laughs> I was near been, Van Ness. I was on Connecticut next right. to the Mr. Flagship car wash. <laughs> it's funny that right before I downloaded your podcast, I sent an email to Burger King support because I noticed that my credit card was double charged when I ordered from their app on Friday. Incidentally, it only cost me $24 to get food for my family of four. I saved money by getting a couple of rodeo burgers off the value menu for $1.49 each. I'm not you lost me at rodeo <laughs> I'm burgers. Not sure what that means. And one more from, from Avon, Connecticut, where Norby belongs to the Avon Golf Club. But that's a nice club. It's very nice. It's got um, 27 holes. It's very nice. 
from Michael Diesenhoff in Avon, Connecticut. You got rooked, old man. It's that simple. <laughs> that kid knows the prices damn well because he sits in there eight hours a day, five days a week. He saw you coming a mile away. I know because a long time ago, I myself was a teenage retail goniff. In high school, I worked pumping gas in northern New Jersey. My first day, the vets took me under their wing and explained the felonious racket. Mostly it consisted of forgetting to give the four cents per gallon discount for cash purchases. But if we were feeling particularly frisky or hungry, we'd go for the big kill. Overcharge on a credit card purchase. Those were the days of those clunky manual slide credit card machines where the employee was required to arrange the digits in the exact amount of the purchase. $11 became $31. Whoops. <laughs> Sorry, ma'am. My mistake. Many lunches of Chinese food were funded by this criminality. In true New Jersey fashion, this highly illegal activity was only blithely dissuaded by the owner who, it is abundantly clear to me now, had some other hustles going on that would have made a $2 swindle look like, well, a $2 swindle. P.S. I have rehabilitated myself. It's one of the great emails we've ever had. Sean has sent me that. That's the Binghamton Speedy's hat. Wow. And it's Speedy's on a skewer. Yes. Oh, we got to get those. Yeah, we got to get one of those. If you're out on your bike tonight, as always, do wear white. Come on now. That means everybody just cool out. Will you cool out, you everybody? Cool out?